You didn't ever have like when you were younger in college, like something you would say that you did just to like seem cool. The big thing is a voiceover actor. Ooh. Like, oh, you have a good voice. Where have I heard you? And actually, the only thing I ever got was Quiznos. When I first did it, they go, no, you're doing it too much like a sports cast. You're too hyped up. I would say, Quiznos, a cut above. Great taste at low prices. And they go, no, 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 down, down. I go, then I go, Quiznos, a cut above. Great taste at low prices. They go, less, less. <laughs> I go, okay. They go, as if, and I go, It's like forgetting Sarah Marshall. Do less. Like as if you're almost kind of shrugging. So I'm like, Quiznos, a cut above. Great taste at low prices. They go, perfect. That was That's right, though. That, I felt that. I got goosebumps there. I was... <laughs> The movie isn't Lawrence of Arabia in space, but it comes pretty close. And I say that as someone who went in a doubter. That's Ty Burr of Ty Burr's Watchlist. I'm so happy Chris Cody's highlighting Ty Burr because he used to be a film critic every time a week. Then he went to Boston Globe. A couple months ago, he said, I'm out. I'm just going to do a watch list. So I actually subscribed to his watch list. Cody, first off, where did you get that blurb from Ty Burr's watch list? I mean, I, you, I generally go to Rotten Tomatoes for the critic reviews, and I'm just kind of picking ones that seem interesting to me. Not surprising. I had no idea who Ty Burr was, and I was a little like, wow, this guy's like named his own list. Like, you know, this Ty Burr thinks a lot of himself. But you see, and then you text me back, Ty Burr! So apparently I did yeah. good. Look at me. Oh, yeah. Ty Burr's a former guest here in Cinephile. He loves old movies. We have Jeffrey Lyons coming up next week, who is a great film critic, father of Ben Lyons, and he can talk old movies. Ty Burr is like the expert in like silent era movies. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I, if you want to go back sometime, anybody listening wants to go listen to that episode. It was actually very interesting because I go, you're like a 60-year-old man. How did you become an expert in films that were made like 50 years before you were born? <laughs> like what Like what kind of high school did you right. have? Like I, know, I'm a, I'm, I was a loser. Yeah, let's make that clear. But I, I want to picture you in adolescence like just knocking out Buster Keaton silent films. I mean, you know, I'm a little more chaplain here on a Friday night. I'm like, okay. I don't believe you were a loser. I think you're just saying that. I think you're being self-deprecating. I think you were cool. <laughs> well, I don't think you're a loser either. And and yeah. Amin tried to take a few shots at you. By the way, thanks to Amin Hassan. Did mm-hmm. a great job last week talking with Teen Wolf. He basically tried to, again, spread this image of you as some sort of a, a fat guy who's a surprisingly good athlete. This is not true. You are a good athlete, and you're not fat. Just husky, right? This, this, like, we do this thing with fat. Like, there's right. there's scales to this. And that's actually, it, it works out in my benefit because a lot of times if someone meets me in public, they go, you're not that fat. And I'm just like, thank you. Thank you. From your lips. <laughs> I, I could totally see it because I would be that guy going, dude, but the way they talk about your weight, like I, I thought you were 300 pounds. Because sometimes not, Sometimes people come up to me and they're like disappointed. They're like, wait, they call you fat, Chris? So they're like, look at me. And I'm just like, yeah, see, you're not fat either, man. Don't worry. Don't listen to them. And I just spin it and I turn all them into the jerks. No, no, you're totally right. I've had that happen to me. Heavier guys come up, they go, oh, wow, you look bigger on TV. And I go, oh, sorry to disappoint you. Yeah. I'll get, the camera does add 10 pounds, okay? I'm going fatty. Oh. <laughs> Anyways, sorry about the aside. Tyver's great. Check out his watch list, as I do subscribe to. But uh, we got lots coming up today. Justine Bateman has a new film. It's called Violet. Violet is in theaters uh, this Friday. It's uh, starring Olivia Munn. Justine Bateman, of course, you know her from Family Ties and Satisfaction. Lots of other work along the way. She is writing and directing her directorial debut. She's also an author, so... Can't wait to talk to Justin Bateman. A good 10 minutes there. Also, I was so happy. Kirby Enthusiasm is back. We'll talk mm-hmm. about that later on in future episodes this season. But one of my all-time favorite comics, Albert Brooks, is in the latest season. Now, his brother, of course, the great 
uh, Super Dave, as I like to call him, Bob Einstein, passed away. So in some ways it makes sense. Oh, Bob Einstein was on the show. He passed away. Now Albert Brooks is showing up. But I had no idea he was going to be on the new season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. But I had emailed Cody last week, hey, I'm going to talk about Defending Your Life for our old movie this week. So the new film is Dune. The old film is Defending Your Life, 30th anniversary of a great Albert Brooks movie he stars, wrote, directed, and our wild card is Justine Bateman. Good slate today. Albert Brooks, first thing that pops into my mind, The Scout. Is that movie on your radar? Yeah. It's a baseball movie? Yeah, what do we think of that? Because yeah. I grew up, I love that movie. You got Brendan Fraser on top of the uh, the, the stadium lights at uh, Yankee Stadium, afraid to go down. Like, it's just an intense, it's, it's like an, it's an odd movie, but it's I enjoyed it. I love that movie. Underrated movie. Like, I think you're going to be a real baseball geek or a big Albert Brooks fan. But yes, The Scout is on my radar. Yes. Because just even the, just even the title alone, I'm like, oh, The Scout, what is this? Like, baseball scouting. Who makes me but a baseball scout? It made it me was... want to be a scout. I was like, I want to go to some obscure country, and I want to find the stud there, and then I want to be able, and I want to bring him back to my team, and I want to fight for him to get a contract. I don't know. It just made me want to be a scout. <laughs> By the way, quick side note. This is a, a podcast of side notes so far. Back yeah. when I was in college, that would be my move to impress the ladies at the bars. I would say I was a scout for the Florida Marlins. And how did it work? Didn't really work that way. Didn't really work that way. Come on, you're being so You didn't ever have, you didn't ever have like when you were younger in college, like something you would say that you did just to like seem cool? The big thing is a voiceover actor. Like, Ooh. Oh, you have a good voice. Where have I heard you? And actually, the only thing I ever got was Quiznos. And I had like literally, a, I mean, one out of a hundred. I, I auditioned for so much stuff. So technically, I was a voiceover actor and then I did have a credit to my name. Man. I was the voice of Quiznos for a good six You months, took Quiznos I, down, huh? Then they're not around I, anymore. Where are they yeah, at? I used to love those sandwiches. I love those sandwiches. I always the tagline, which was, and this is the thing. When I first did it, they go, no, you're doing it too much like a sports cast. You're too hyped <laughs> up. I would say, Quiznos, a cut above. Great taste at low prices. And they go, no, 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 down, down. I go, then I go, Quiznos, a cut above. Great taste at low prices. They go, less, less. <laughs> I go, okay. They go, as if, and I go, it's like forgetting Sarah Marshall. Do less, do less. Right. Like as if you're almost kind of shrugging. So I'm like, Quiznos, a cut above. Great taste at low prices. They go, perfect. That was That's right, though. That, I felt that. I got goosebumps there. I, was, <laughs> I mean, that was. That's why, I mean, I think it was. It might have been John Houston, the director, once said, he goes, there's only two directorial cues to give someone. Less, more? More or yeah. less. That's it, exactly. What else can you say? All yeah. right, do this performance as if you were a duck. What? No, no, just more or less. That's what we're looking for. Man, you just made me want Quiznos. Anyways, back to movies. Yeah, we've got to find some Quiznos down they gotta, they got to sponsor the podcast. Oh, I, come I, I, on. I don't think they're around anymore. All the ones in South Florida closed. Like, is it, did, I'm trying to think in Jersey. I think the they, last time did I they just Quiznos. get rid of them in South Florida and they're still around everywhere else? Let us know. Tweet us at CinephilePod. At Cinefopod, let us know. When was last year? Went to Quiznos. Are they still around? That turkey ranch. That turkey ranch sandwich. Let's dive in with Dune, the feature adaptation of Frank Herbert's science fiction novel about the son of a noble family entrusted with the protection of the most valuable asset and most vital element in the galaxy. It comes from director Denis Villeneuve. I feel like I have to say visionary director Denis Villeneuve because he likes to make these very expensive movies, uh, science fiction spectacles that can burn through budgets but can certainly bring a lot of wonderment to your eyes. He first began his career, by the way, noted Canadian, a great film called Encendies, which is very small, interior drama, has a great twist ending. So go check out Encendies, I-N-C-N-C-E-N, excuse me, D-I-E-S. It's an awesome movie. I believe it was Canada's nominee for Best Foreign Film at the Oscars. I can't remember if it won. Anyways, he makes this film called Encendies, which is amazing. So studios clearly know he's a smart guy. All right, now let's get to make some movies. Arrival he made, Dan Stanzik, one of his favorites, Amy Adams. Blade Runner 2049, huge film, obviously, uh, you know, carrying on the franchise of Blade Runner. You got Ryan Gosling, and now he makes Dune. So Dune, there was original film 
which was made with David Lynch's directorial assist. And apparently he has disavowed the film. He hates the, what the studio did with it, so he, he just despises the movie. And Lynch is obviously a great director, Blue Velvet, all of his style. Max Bredos, I was a guest on his podcast recently. He told me he's actually watched the original Dune. I'm like, are you kidding? He's like, it's not as bad as you might think. I'm like, well, interesting. I did talk to my buddy Rick Passmore, who has also seen the film. We're going to have Ricky, by the way, on the pod at some point. And he said that, listen, that movie is campy fun, but misses a lot of the points of the story. The last 35 minutes in David Lynch's film, an absolute mess. Um, the first 100 minutes is about two months, the 35 minutes of the next five years. David Lynch hates the film. The studio screwed him on it so badly. So that's the backstory to Dune. There's been a movie before, yes, and it got mixed reviews. The book came out back in 1965. So the movie's been around a while. And my <laughs> first thought, Cody, while watching, because I have not read the book, was there's a lot of Star Wars here. I was like, okay, there's a character named the Emperor. We've got uh, not quite lightsaber fights, but something akin to that. And just the feel of it, I was like, kind of like Star Wars. I'm like, hmm, maybe they're ripping off Star Wars. No, 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 this was 65. So I talked to some people who were like, no, no, in some ways people feel like George Lucas was ripping off Dune with Star Wars, which came out in 1977. So it's interesting while watching Dune, a book that came out 50 plus years ago, there's already been a movie about it, and it feels a little bit derivative because there's so many science fiction apocalyptic novels. As Ty Burr put brilliantly, it feels like Lawrence of Arabia out there in the sand. Now, here's the good news about it. By the way, did you watch it? It's on HBO Max and in theaters. I did not. I didn't think you did. So Dune, which is available once again. It HBO just Max seems like it's not my style, man. Like, you know, no, no, I didn't think it would be. Listen, yeah. This is two and a half hours. Okay? Yeah. Again, Bond was 240. Mm -hmm. This is two and a half hours. And again, I was confused at times. I've not read the book. I'm easily confused by these science fiction novels. I'm like, what does this mean? What language are they speaking? Who is this about? There's a real absence of levity, as Claire Atkins pointed out. Others have pointed out. There's, there's, this isn't like Guardians of the Galaxy, which is like an action film, a superhero movie, and it's funny. Like, there's no laughs in this movie. It's like, Denis Villeneuve makes brief, serious very Every serious movie needs films. laughs, right? You got to have yeah, some laughs in every movie. doesn't matter what kind of genre. There's one laugh, I think, in this movie, and they show it in the trailer. So you think, oh, it's actually a funny movie, but no, it's not. It's, one, it's where the guy says to Heady play by that, by the way. They're like, we got one funny thing. We are putting yeah. it in the trailer. Right. And then Jason Momoa <laughs> says to Timothee Chalamet, he's like, oh, he put on some muscle. He's like, oh, not really. I'm like, that's it. That's the one joke. Let's get that in the trailer. Okay. People will think it's a real Not laugh even that line. funny. <laughs> but I'll say this. When you see a film like this, I saw it just purely out of access and ease because I've got kids and it's the World Series and i got stuff to do. I watched it on HBO Max, which is not ideal, and I watched it in about like eight different sittings, which is also not ideal. I think if you watch this film on IMAX, like Passmore did and so many others out there, this would be an incredible experience. I thought it was a very good movie because it's visually spectacular. I mean, the cinematography is amazing. The production design is first class. The score by Hans Zimmer, although he does feel like he's cribbing some of his past work, is also Hans and I think if you see it on as big a screen as possible, Denis Villeneuve, like Christopher Nolan, makes movies that are bigger and brasher and bolder than anyone else. Having said that, the storyline to me was a little bit confusing at times. Maybe just as Chris Cody said, just not my thing, science fiction, operatics. But I'm still going to give it three Maple Leafs because <laughs> I like seeing big movies like this made for big audiences. And thankfully, it's a film which doesn't feature superheroes. Like, it's a big movie which could be a franchise film and it's not just about, you know, stuff that we're normally used to seeing. The one interesting part of this, again, is this. Dune ends, and you go, wait, there's a lot more. My understanding is this film is only about like half of the novel. So it's almost like Warner Brothers is hedging. We're not going to make a pure adaptation of the book. We'll do half of the book and then hope for a sequel, and there could be another book. And someone told me, I don't know, there's like 12 books. So you could end up having 20 of these movies if indeed Dune ends up being a huge success. It was $40 million in the first week. So like, what is that? How's that like? I think that's pretty good because, again, it's on HBO Max, so some people could watch it at home. I think, listen, if it was a true time where... 
all movies were in theaters, you'd hope this film's like a $90 million budget, at least $100 million worth of marketing. You'd probably be hoping for a, at least a $50, $60, $70 million opening. So I think 40 is probably respectable, but I'm sure they were hoping it was higher. You got me thinking of what's the most sittings it's ever taken me to get through a movie. Because, like, that's pretty – you said – what would you say, six or eight? I mean, that's – it was like eight because I just yeah, had a lot of that's stuff going that's on. like twenty minutes per like that's a nice like <laughs> it's tough to follow a movie in that way yeah and that's why like I kind of I, I feel unfair to the film like I want to go and watch it again he still gave it a three I mean three Maple Leafs I'm still three. giving it a three to four Maple Leafs because it's such a visual splendor I mean the spectacle of that movie you could appreciate when someone has that kind of boldness to it like I said that kind of design that kind of grandeur and uh, that kind of ambition so that's why I'm rewarding the film by a three Maple Leafs but I think yeah if you watched it one sitting in the theater you definitely enjoy the film more. Just a quick thought on the acting, because this is not a film you see for the acting. Timothée Chalamet, I did think he was kind of miscast. I really don't see him as a science fiction action kind of star. The first hour of the movie, he's just very reactive. Uh, Zendaya's in the film, Jason Momoa, I mentioned earlier, Bardem, small role. But this isn't really an acting showcase. I mean, I, I would guess of the actors, Josh Brolin, Oscar Isaac, probably Oscar Isaac, I think, has the meatiest role. But again, this is not a film you see for the actors. This is for all the, the bells and whistles. And certainly in that case, it steps up. Again, I mentioned Jeffrey Lyons going to have on next week. Ben Lyons, his son, he texted me because I don't understand. In. Like he just just wrote WTF. He said he was confused throughout Dune. So and maybe it's not to everyone's taste, but I did definitely enjoy it. Do you think of the Levitard show? Like who would be the most likely to watch Dune? Who do you think is a real geek for Dune? I don't think it's Levitard. I don't think it's Stugatz. Mm. I think it's Mike Ryan. Maybe Chris Whittingham. I could see him nerding out a little bit. Uh, Anthony or Tony, like one of our producers, told me he got through ten minutes of it and was just like, "I'm too confused." He he had some weird theory of if I look down for my at my phone for one minute and I look up and I'm confused about the movie, he's checked out on it. So I, I didn't expect to bring Tony's take to the. But you asked. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew that Tony would actually end up getting it? But the fact he went 10 minutes, and that's it. I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, let's dive into another film, which I want to talk about, which is Defending Your Life. You're going to love this one. In an afterlife way station resembling a major city, the lives of the recently deceased are examined in a court-like setting. That's right. Albert Brooks, if you haven't seen his work, you can now watch him on Curb Your Enthusiasm. He had a small role in the Will Smith movie, Concussion. But he's known as a guy who was a writer and director of some really funny movies. Lost in America is a classic from the mid-'80s. Mother's really funny. And my favorite of his is called Defending Your Life. It's the 30th anniversary of that film. And what, an, what a concept for a movie. Guy's going about his life, gets hit by a bus, all of a sudden wakes up. Am I in heaven? No. Am I in hell? No. Uh, you're going to be in court. What? Yeah, you go to a way station, and Rip Torn is going to play your lawyer. The great Rip Torn, who I loved, is already in the Larry Sanders show. He plays Bob Diamond. And he explains to him, listen, we're going to go through your life, and we're going to barter through it, and then we'll see if you can go to the next step. He's like, okay. He's like, what if I lose? He's like, well, then you got to stay here, or you get degraded to another place. He's like, all right. So what a concept for a movie. When you die, you now have to debate your life. You have a prosecuting attorney, and you have a defense attorney, and you have a judge. And they've got to take out certain sections of your life. And, you know, he's told that they're going to look at eight days from his life. He's like, is that a lot? And that's one of the best running jokes. He's asking different people, how many days did you get? Oh, 12 days. You had four days? I'm like, oh, okay. What does that mean? So anyways, he's there in a courtroom having to debate his life, and they show clips of his life. And it got me to thinking, like, just, just imagine if they said Chris, I mean, listen, God forbid, Chris Cody's going to live till he's 100. But tomorrow you die, all of a sudden you're in court and you have to debate your life, and they're literally showing moments of your life. If I said to you right now, Jeez. what eight to ten moments of your life do you think best encapsulate your life? Okay, birth of your daughter, yeah. wedding day, but then there's some negative stuff. First I mean, time eating McDonald's. Yeah. Right, Chris having McDonald's the first time. Chris dominating in baseball. <laughs> and then what ends up happening is that the moments that they're showing they're debating his sense of fear because the prosecuting attorney is saying, look at this moment. You didn't buy this stock because you were scared that it wouldn't work out. 
you know, here is what happened here. You betrayed a friend, blah, blah, blah. And then Rip Torn, of course, has to defend him, say, no, no, this is why he was a good friend, because of this. He's honorable because of this. So I love the conceit of the film. I know it may sound heavy, but it's done on a very funny level. Seems the unique. Best, yeah, it's very unique. And, and that's what, a great way to describe Albert Brooks. Very unique comedic voice. One of the best sequences in the movie is they're talking about his judgment. And she goes, here's an example of 164 bad judgments made over a 12-year span. <laughs> and it's an incredible montage of one minute of him like running alongside his car and he can't, you know, he has to jump on top of the hood to stop it. He buys a car. They cut to the shot. They use car dealers high-fiving, laughing. <laughs> you see him with power tools and he's like, got a chainsaw all over the place. He's like, like, it's just one joke after it. He's brushing his teeth, picks his Oh god, it's disgusting. It's not mouthwash. It's like soap. Like it's just there's this, like, the, the comic sequences in this movie that are so funny. And again, Rip Torn is so good as a defense attorney. But Meryl Streep is in the movie. You go, wow, Meryl Streep, arguably the greatest actress ever. She plays the love interest in this movie. So if you've never seen Defending Your Life, I believe it's currently on HBO. I encourage everyone to check it out. If you like Albert Brooks, obviously I'm sure you've seen it. But inventive, unique, funny, and it has an excellent ending. That's one of the things sometimes with these movies. You go, right, how are they going to stick the landing? And um, Destin Thompson was saying of Washington Post, definitely Brooks's day in court. He makes comic heaven of it. Roger Ebert, the Chicago Sun-Times. The movie is funny in a warm, fuzzy way, and it has a splendidly satisfactory ending, and Matt Brunson of Film Frenzy, arguably writer-director Albert Brooks's best movie. Are you watching Curb Your Enthusiasm, by the way, Chris? Did you see Albert Brooks in the latest uh, season? I did watch the first episode. I love how his character, I love, Curb always does this, is gives these characters that are playing they're real, like they're playing. He's out. He's playing Albert Brooks in the movie, and it's funny right. that in the in the show, Albert Brooks is the guy that's always trying to get you to watch his things. He's like trying to. He's like, you know, Concussion is on Amazon Prime right now. Like, like as if as if these people walk around just like, oh, please watch everything that I'm in. <laughs> yeah, that was funny that he was just so self-aware. But what'd you think? I mean, I guess we want to save it, right? We're going to do it at no, a later I, episode. I want there to be okay. a few episodes, okay. then we're going to do a proper yeah, Curb yeah. Enthusiasm. I'm all in on Curb, so I'm excited okay, about great. that. We'll give it a couple episodes, and then we'll do it in the weeks ahead. Before we get to our special guest, Justine Bateman, I, a couple of thoughts here just on Alec Baldwin. I mean, just a horrific story here. Crazy, man. I've heard. God, he's uh, in a film called Rust, and unfortunately, there's real ammo loaded into his gun. Shoots at the camera, ends up shooting the director of photography who passes away. Uh, the director was in critical condition. Now, uh, hopefully, we'll make a recovery. They're having an ongoing investigation right now. Um, lots to think about. One, just why is there even live ammo in the first place? The story I saw today, again, we're recording this on a Tuesday, is that apparently this is fairly common on sets that people have the prop gun and then they have live ammo and they go do like shooting ranges. Like they're just, you know, screwing around, killing time. They'll go off to the side and like just practice shooting and practice shooting ammo and having contests. And listen, how in the world does live ammo get put into an actual gun and you know, people didn't check it properly, didn't vet it properly. I mean, who knows? These are all questions which are going to be asked and, and, um, the, the courts will ascertain who is at fault, but it clearly does not sound like Alec Baldwin is. He sounds like he was completely distraught. Of course, had no idea there was live ammunition in there. I just can't imagine him. He's, listen, he's an incredible actor. I've always loved his work. I think he's a huge talent. He's obviously a big family man. He's got another baby on the way. I think he's got five kids. I just kept thinking, A, of course, the family, the cinematographer passed away. Heartbreak to lose your daughter that way. For the director, who hopefully will recap, for all the members of the crew who are now going to be associated with the film, yeah. which is more known for having a death, and of course for Alec Baldwin dealing with the guilt. It just sucks for every single person involved. It's an absolute tragedy. People calling to mind what happened on The Crow. Of course, Bruce Lee's son, Brandon Lee, what happened, again, a very uh, fatality taking place 
on an actual film set. Um, it's just awful to think about. And again, thoughts and prayers to all those, and hopefully we'll get through this situation, and hopefully this never happens again on a movie set, and we'll, I'm sure I'll get more information as the time goes on. Before we get to Justine Bateman, just a quick thought right now. Halloween movies with Halloween right around the corner. People love to say scariest movie. Listen, I think The Exorcist, pretty freaking scary, okay? Woman's head goes all the way around. Just woman stabbing herself with a crucifix. Your mother sucks cocks in hell. <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a lot to be disturbed by that movie. What's the clarification here on what makes a movie a Halloween movie? Is it a movie that comes out in the time of Halloween? Is it a movie that just kind of has a dark, dreary, like, like what like what makes a Halloween movie here? I, I, I'm going broad and just saying scariest movies, but if you're right, if you want to go Halloween movies, I'd have to say, yeah, as long as there's a pumpkin in it. Like, is Beetlejuice a, a Halloween movie? Yeah, I think so. If there's a movie that feels like it's, it, would, it should be watched on Halloween, ghouls and goblins, the supernatural, all that kind of stuff, Beetlejuice is a great Halloween movie. I mean, Nightmare Before Christmas has Christmas in the title, but that's no, no, a Halloween that, that's movie. That's Halloween. Jack Skellington, absolutely. Halloween character. Casper I, the I'm Friendly Ghost. Well, yeah, okay. Am I losing you? But it's you? more like, what if I like the Halloween franchise? Like, I've never been a big Halloween fan. I mean, those movies go way back to the 70s. I think of like Nightmare on Elm Street, right? Freddy Krueger. That guy's horrifying. Friday the 13th. That's a real movie franchise. Scream, a more recent franchise. Uh, Nev Campbell, noted Canadian. Yeah. Those are the kind of movies I think of. You don't like Michael? What is it? Is it Michael Myers? We're not big. Isn't that Halloween? That's the Michael Halloween. Michael Myers is Halloween. Yeah, he's the guy in Halloween. Oh, you like him? Okay, I thought you were saying that. Yeah. That, that. Okay, I thought you were. Because that's my favorite. Of all the, if all the scary, like I'm a more of a Halloween guy than a Scream guy. What about I Know What You Did Last Summer? Jennifer Love Hewitt. See, is that a Halloween? Movie? That's just like no, that's just a, a horror movie, film. Right? Not Halloween, just yeah. a scary movie. This yeah, is a tough. This is a weird, a weird line here. It's like if it has candy yeah. in it, it's a Halloween. Like Hocus Pocus, not a fan. My daughter's no. trying to put that on all the time. It's like Pass. I tried to watch through it. It's just, it's painful. Nobody wants to watch Hocus Pocus. <laughs> um, enjoy Halloween. I don't. Are people trick or treating in, in South Florida? I guess Florida. You guys don't care. Of course we are. Florida, kidding me? No, I'm kidding. Uh, I mean, yes, no, I'm not kidding. I'm in Florida. It's dangerous here. Um, but we are gonna go trick or treating. Uh, I like a, a Halloween much more into Halloween now that with kids. Yes. I had a nice like before kids. I had a ten year lull there where it's like I don't really care about Halloween. I'm not really unless right. I'm going to a, maybe I went to one party in that ten years. Like wasn't really into dressing well, I was up. Gonna say, in your twenties, if you went, because a lot of women dress up in those like sexy Halloween. Costumes, oh, I'd go. Right? I, I would go like downtown Fort Lauderdale back in the day, back in Chris's single days. But I would yeah. always be that weirdo that wouldn't dress up. I'd be there in right. just regular clothes, and it's like no, you like. It's like you need to so be you got dressed like a up. Sexy cheerleader. You got a sexy schoolgirl outfit. Right. You got a sexy Catwoman, and there's Chris Cody. Right. Hey, what's going on? <laughs> and now it's time for Justine Bateman. <laughs> when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.
Well, it's a real pleasure to talk to Justine Babe, and her new film is called Violet. It's in select theaters October 29th at Home on Divand, November 9th. She's not only co-producer, but wrote and directed it. And first and foremost, Justine, what's it like to finally get the film released? Because I know it's been a delay right now. You finally got the reception at South by Southwest, my hometown of Toronto. It's one thing to make a film, but what's it been like having this delayed gratification? Really weird, you know? Yeah, it was supposed to premiere at South by Southwest 2020. And then, you know, that was one of the big, the, the first big event to get canceled, you know? I mean, I mean, it's not just like, oh, it's not going to happen this year, but we everything was ready. Like this was... Yeah. Everybody had plane tickets. I mean, everything was done. And uh, um, yeah, a week before we were supposed to fly out there, it was canceled. So yeah, and then just held it. You know, we had the the U.S. presidential election and, you know, COVID and everything. And there were other film festival opportunities that were virtual. And I was like, I was like, it's too much. I can't, you know, it can't be like 2,000 people died today. And don't forget to get tickets to my screening. (laughs) (laughs) You know, on on Twitter or something. So um, yeah, held it. And then you know, got into South by 2021, which I was hoping would be in person, but then wasn't. So I thought, oh, well, that that ship has sailed. You know, I won't be able to present this film in person. And then for Toronto to call, because they had wanted it the year before, but then for them to call and say, we want it. And I was like, are you sure? Because I just had a talk by, and they're like, it'll be an international premiere. And I, and, and I said, and you're really going to be in person for real? So I'm so grateful that I got to, you know, for both film festivals that I got to do that. And um and yeah, now to have it, you know, be in theaters and that everyone's going to see it, uh, it's it's fantastic because I, the most important character in this film is the viewer, you know, uh, to come in and have this immersive experience and and to hopefully have a freer life after. So yeah, it, it has to be out there for the for the people, you know, to to get that benefit. Well, it's such a great concept too. This idea of a woman who's trying to overcome these self-destructive thoughts in her brain, which are voiced by Justin Theroux. Um, where did the concept come from? Obviously you wrote and directed it. People always wonder, oh, write what you know. Was this based on yourself or a person you know? Where did the premise first come from? Um, God, you know, when I hear write what you know, it's really just like write what you're interested in, you know? And if you don't know a lot about it, you go do a shit ton of research, you know? So- <laughs> I did a shit ton of research on this. <laughs> I'm being a, a smart ass, but um, no, years ago, I made a lot of fear-based decisions. I was not being myself and I didn't know how, I didn't know, I thought maybe that's just, you know, either you're that kind of person or you're an instinct-based person and that's just how it is. But then when I realized I could, I could cross that bridge and get from one to the other, I was, I was like, wow, I'm all in, you know? And, and it was a lot of work. It was like getting to the root the irrational fears that were that were serving as anchors for these negative thoughts and and that kind of process. And so once I got on the other side of that, I felt like, wow, that fear stole a lot of time from me. Mm-hmm. You know, I stole time that I could have been being myself. I could have been having more fun. Um, and so this Violet is the film that I wish I'd seen at 19 because I could have become my, myself faster than I did. Um, it's not autobiographical, but it's based in you know, a lot of, you know, research that I did in my own life. And, um, and my hope is that other people could see it and, and have this immersive experience and, and realize that those negative thoughts are just lying to them. There's, there's nothing valid in any of those negative thoughts. And then, you know, taking small steps, like doing the opposite, uh, you know, to get on track to, to, so you could be yourself, you know, cause it's a more enjoyable life if you're being yourself than if you're just being afraid. No question. And people are sitting there listening. Oh, yeah, easier said than done. I mean, we all have to overcome these fears no, somehow, somewhere, right? <laughs> There's some steps that, that one can take by watching the film. And uh, 
um, yeah, and I hope it just like starts, uh, starts like kind of plants a seed in them that just grows and grows and grows without, you know, with them doing the work. Yeah. But, but in, in part, you know, them not doing work, just that it grows inside of them and, and becomes more real. Writing, producing, directing, which one was the most fulfilling? I feel like directing must've been the most challenging, but you tell me. Well, I mean, it's very satisfying to write because you don't need anything but time. You know, you don't need any other people. You don't need any money. You don't, you know, you can, you can, you know, right now, we stop right now and just start writing, you know? Mm -hmm. um, directing, uh, you can only do if you have like all these components together, the crew, the locations, the whole thing. Um, and then, you know, producing is like all, you know, throughout that, you know, before and after all of that. Um, so I love them all. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do just one of them. Um, uh, so yeah, there are things I like about all of it. Um, if I had to pick just one, it would have to be directing because you, you're able to fully make this, this art project, this collage, um, but um, but yeah, there's something about writing where it's you can it's amazing. You just create this entire world just without without needing any other uh, permissions or elements or people or anything. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah, that germ of an idea has to start somewhere. And you're right. It has to start with somebody being inspired. Olivia Munn, the star of the film, loved her in the newsroom, of course, work with Aaron Sorkin. Why did you decide that Olivia would be the perfect vessel for your debut film? Well, when I'm casting, I like to look at video of uh, lots of different video of actors, their work, uh, their interviews, social media, uh, and I'm looking for different components that I know I need in my character. And sometimes the components are obvious in this person, sometimes they're subtle. And I know as a director, I can go in on the subtle ones and expand them. And so there were certain elements that, that Olivia had that I could see in video I'd see of her um, that I wanted to expand. And she really gave herself to the part. And I was able to expand those things and, and it worked out great. Yeah, that's great. The film, once again, is called Viola. I encourage everyone to check it out in theaters soon. It's going to also be uh, available on demand. Listen, Justine, you've been out there. I, I love the fact, like you said, this is about how one's appearance and how it shapes you and, you know, overcoming self-destructive thoughts. The fact that you wrote Face, One Square Foot of Skin, uh, it was a, a widely acclaimed. I, I don't know how many women read that and didn't go, hey, that, that's right. She's right. She's onto something. Um, <laughs> what's it been like for you to be able to say, listen, I, I've been a front facing talent for so many years, but you've now shown your strength, not only as a writer, as a director, but getting those thoughts out there. What's that reception been like? Um, it's been amazing. Yeah. Particularly for that, for that book face. I mean, that was the reaction to that was, uh, so much bigger and so much more international than, than me and my publishers expected it to be, you know, so. <laughs> Yeah, that definitely was a balloon that was ready to pop. You know, women just going, yeah, why am I subscribing to the idea that my face <laughs> is broken and needs to be fixed no matter what age I am? I mean, it's just it's just sort of insane. But then, but I feel like for each woman, and this ties into Violet, you've got to get down to the root reason that you're buying into it and then deal with that. Because if you're afraid that you're never going to work again or you're not going to get a mate or whatever, those are fears that existed before you noticed your face was getting creases. So even if you got plastic surgery, you would still have those fears and you'd still carry those around and they would still make you make fear-based decisions. So why not deal with those? And if you want to cut your face up afterwards, go ahead. <laughs> but get rid of those fears. And that's right. what, you know, so anybody who enjoyed face, mm. please go see Violet because 
it more generally t- goes over like how do we cross that chasm between a fear-based life and an instinct-based life? Two more quick ones and we'll get you out of here. Arrested Development's one of the funniest shows of all time. I was so happy you appeared on that show with your brother, Jason. What was that, uh, what was that experience like? Oh, it's terrific. I mean, what a fantastic opportunity to go in and play that part. I, I, wish, I wish that character had come back you know, more <laughs> often later, but yeah, what a terrific show. And I think it's important for people to remember like that show started, I mean, of course there's Seinfeld before that, but that show started like, you know, the uh, a particular style of comedy that's that's extremely commonplace now but it wasn't then you know it's like the historical context i think is good to to think about to appreciate what that show was when it came out and last one i know you get tired of talking about family ties but seriously everybody i said i'm speaking today go ask her about mallory i'm like what do you want me to ask her so all i will say is this do you ever get tired of talking about family ties violet is a great film and it's going to come out um october 29th and then it's going to be uh, in New York and L.A. and then in more theaters on the 5th and then online on the 9th. Perfect answer. Justine Bateman, we look forward to seeing Violet. As you said, that's where you can see it. And uh, congratulations on this next phase of your career. Thanks. Great talking to you. Do you think, because this is a thing with families, it's like we're going to have a bunch of kids and we're going to name them all with the same first letter. Is that, oh, are, you, are you a big fan of that? Yeah, are your kids all the I'm same not, first letter? No, I'm not a big fan of that, actually. My oh. wife's uh, cousin just had a baby and they're all S's, so they have two yeah. boys and a daughter, all S's. Remember Roger Clemens, his kids all start with the letter K. Yeah. It's just so self-absorbed. Like, yeah. Like this great strikeout machine and that Cody and Chris. And- yeah, I wonder what Jeffrey Bateman's up to. We're going to try to locate the lost Bateman brother and get him on the next episode of Cinephile. I can tell you next week we're going to talk about The French Dispatch, a new Wes Anderson film starring, among others, Adrian Brody, Bill Murray, Benicio Del Toro, and many others. That's currently in theaters. We'll also talk to Jeffrey Lyons. That's right. Father of Ben, famed film critic. He has a new book out called Hemingway and Me. Jeffrey Lyons, The French Dispatch, and so much more. Happy Halloween, everybody, and I'll see you at the movies. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. 